Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Richie is here, Richie, how are you? How are you, lads? How are you, lads? Richie, how are you, lads? How are you doing this week? I'm marvellous. Look at the joy on my face. Look how happy I was. What the fuck happened? <laughs> no, really. You know, what happened? When John was young, Everyone in the city knew about it, but no one had seen it. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's persuaded of the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. You're very welcome to a special edition of the show all this week. We are celebrating our 250th episode. You've just heard a few of our favourite ever guests. And today, we're delighted to welcome the legendary Bill O'Hurley to the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. Bill will be in studio shortly to talk about the emotions he went through presenting his last ever World Cup this summer, the thought process behind some of his biggest moments in terms of trying to strike the right tone when essentially the entire country is watching him when Ireland are involved in the major competitions and just the challenges of presenting and analysing games by himself as he had to do in the days before the panel existed. Murph and Ken are with me, how are you? Hello there, Owen. Good, Owen, how are you? Not too bad. Manchester City, Ken, they made a statement last night. That's what I heard a lot on the analysis afterwards, a statement. We are very good still. <laughs> we haven't gone away. Uh, yeah, Man City, we're, we're really good. Jovicic, a player who barely figured last season, um, showed why they paid a lot of money for him. A player who I think Liverpool wanted to sign in 2009. He was one of these guys Rafael Benitez was trying to get. Mm. Jimmy um, Carrier even mentioned that. Yeah, he, last night. he's got a special place in his heart for Liverpool because I think, I'm pretty sure I remember him dumping them I don't know if he knocked them out of the Champions League on the night, but it was a, he scored a couple of goals against them for Fiorentina. And, uh, you know, really impressive. Um, the way that he took the first goal. Was, I mean, he, I think, preferred the second goal, but the first goal to me was was actually even more impressive. Just the kind of decisiveness of his, the way that he just completely smashed Moreno out of the way and smashed the ball through the goalkeeper. Um, so, yeah, you know, Liverpool have a worse result there than they did last season. Although I saw Brandon Rodgers afterwards 
explained that he's still quite pleased with the way the season has started because they're three points ahead of where they were on the equivalent fixtures last year. They lost at home to Southampton last year and lost away to Man City and this time they've won one of those games so they're three points up. I did see that interview and I was quite struck by his comments about Mario Balotelli. He seemed fairly forthright and honest in saying, look, I know it is a risk, there's no doubt about that, but I'm the kind of guy, I've worked with players like this before who others would throw in the scrap heap. I've looked in his eyes, he's ready to do the business for me at 24 years of age. Yeah, um, looks in his eyes. I mean, I, I thought the, the focus of the interview, or the focus of the questions, was typically uh, misguided in terms of what people tend to think is important about Balotelli. It's, it's not the important thing. It's always about, how do you know? I mean, the question, I think, when Roger said, I've looked into his eyes, how do you know that he's not going to cause you problems off the field? And Balotelli doesn't really cause that many problems off the field. It's on the field that all the problems, all the important problems happen. And that's that, that's the big issue. It should be how how do you know that he's not just going to wait, be a waste of your time, like he was for Cesare Prandelli, for um, Roberto Mancini, um, and for every other coach who's invested and he trusted him. That's not even it either, though. I don't think. I mean, I think he, you know exactly what you're going to get with Mario Balotelli, and it might be worth 16 million. I mean, I think that if, you know, if I was Brendan Rodgers and not necessarily to Jeff Shreves, but if I was talking to someone else about this, I would be inclined to say, well, that's what you get. You know, Mario Balotelli is going to be brilliant for us sometimes. And then... He's a wildly interesting player. Yeah. 20, 25% of the time, he'll, he'll play well, score a goal. 75% of the time, it'll be like you're playing with 10 men. Yeah. And we paid 60 million we, for that. We so. hope to push that closer to 66 to 50% of the time that we're only playing with the 10 men on the field. Maybe it will work out uh, for them. I mean, I would say he, he does very well in his debuts, and his debut's probably going to be against Tottenham next week, uh, next Sunday. And that's a match... I mean, if Liverpool lose that match, then suddenly they're in a crisis. It's like uh, the beginning of that 2009-2010 season, when, remember, they finished second the previous season, and then they lost, I think, two out of their first three, including one at Tottenham. And uh, and suddenly everything was unravelling for Rafael Benitez only a couple of months after it looked as though he'd finally cracked it. This is a special edition of the show, as I mentioned, and I do just want to thank you all for listening. We've had a huge amount of support since we started this programme, so we do greatly appreciate it, and particularly when you get in touch with us on Twitter, um, on Facebook and all the rest. We hope you enjoyed today's chat. Let's get to it now. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Delighted to welcome Bill O'Hurley into studio. Bill, thanks so much for coming along. Thank you very much indeed for inviting me. Now, congratulations on completing your final <laughs> World Cup. I was going to say congratulations <laughs> on your retirement, but I know you're working Join away. the club. Everybody <laughs> says that to me. <laughs> How do you react when people congratulate you on your well, retirement? Well, to be honest about it, when, when it was first... I mean, first of all, you have to recognise that people are doing it very generously. That's the first thing. But I never congratulated anybody on his retirement, and I was very surprised. But it's, it's apparently it's, it's, it's the norm. Well, I'll certainly congratulate you on your final World Cup. Um, with, uh, was there any stage during that that you thought, I'm enjoying myself so much here that maybe, maybe I'm doing the wrong thing by finishing up the TV? Well, <clears throat> the decision to retire was entirely mine, and I actually talked about it for, for last year. I looked, at, I looked at, uh, at it and said, and in fact, I discussed it with uh, Royal Nugent, the head of sport, as to whether I'd go last year or not. And uh, I changed my mind on the grounds that 
there was nothing on last year. It was a fairly, fairly uh, okay summer. But this year the World Cup finals are on, and, and I'm associated with soccer. So I said to myself, "You're better off to wait another year." And I discussed that with uh, with Royal, and that was the agreement that we came to that I would pack up. Having made the decision, inevitably there'd be I'd be saying to myself, "Was it the right decision or the wrong decision?" I know, I know, it is the right decision. But I also know that when I look at the start of the European Championships and I say the three lads with Daryl said, my name of God, what have you done, you know? But I have made the right decision. You got to do it on your own terms, as you described there. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was important. I mean, I'd hate to to get to the stage where they'd be kind of shunting me aside because I was making mistakes. And I'm 75 now, you know, and nearly 76. And I think I've, I've I've had the most extraordinary career in a way, like I've been very, very lucky because I've been part and parcel of the development of television in a very substantial way, you know, both in terms of news features, in terms of current affairs and in terms of sport. So I have been part and parcel of something that has radically altered in the 49 years that I've been broadcasting. So I've been very privileged and very lucky as well. And it worked, I worked with smashing people, you know, like and great people like, God rest his soul, Tim O'Connor, who was a wonderful head of sport, and and um, British McAneil, who was the... Uh, the uh, one, he was a fantastic uh, editor of, of current affairs, and of course, uh, Frank Hall, who was very special. You know, so I, I, I was I was trained by very good people, and uh, and I was very lucky. And then, of course, the three lads. <laughs> of course, <laughs> you can see that on the on the day of your last broadcast, it was you know it was a pretty big event in in RTE, you know, culminating in a almost a sort of a ball. Uh, were, you, were you comfortable being the centre of attention to that extent? I wasn't, to be honest, because, I mean, I've never regarded myself as, a, quote, a television personality. I, I'm a journalist, as far as I was concerned. I was brought up and reared as a journalist and trained as a journalist, and I always looked at my uh, my work on television as as a journalist. And I've been I've been unbelievably lucky because I worked with three smashing guys, like in, in uh, John Fee Giles and Brady, and, and I have made no bones about the fact that I've piggybacked on their talent. I mean, anybody could do what I'm doing. And Darren Maloney will do it. And I think in some respects, he'll do it better than me because he's a better presenter. I, I'm, I'm, I, at the moment, I'm a better interviewer. But he'll, he'll get that as well. So he's very good. So there, there'll be, I, in a year's time, they won't even remember me. I'm not sure about that now, but were you nervous on that uh, on the last day on air? Were no, I wasn't really. I wasn't. I wasn't. But the one thing I I did decide. I mean, the the wrap up usually is not written by me because, like, I'm talking to people, I'm interviewing them, and, and then we're in very tight in time in the end. The editor always writes the the last out out piece, but I decided that I'm decide I'm going to make my own decision as to what I'm going to say when I leave. So that was the first time I did, and wh- when I was writing it. The magnitude of what I had decided came across to me like that. God almighty, I said, here, I am writing my own, almost my obituary, a sense, from, from television. And I, it, but, but, but once I actually got on air, you have to do your job, so it didn't worry me in the least. And I, I was far more emotional and, and gobsmacked, really, at the after-party mm. uh, gig because th- the warmth of it was unbelievable and the tributes were unbelievable. And I said to, I said to, the, uh, to, the, to the assembled... Uh, People, I said, look, I don't recognise this guy at all, because. It, but it was a sense. There was a sense, though, of the kind of whole family tradition of RT as well. That there was unbelievable warmth there, you know. And I suppose people were saying he had made a contribution, but I never expected anything like that had happened. And then I got a, a lovely presentation of a microphone, which they felt, after a long, long period of consideration, uh, properly uh, reflected my my work in RTE. Yeah. But one other thing. I'm a big Arsenal man, yeah. and Liam Brady invited myself and my wife Hillary to um, 
the director's box of for any match I chose <laughs> for Arsenal this coming season. It's about so the that, best parting gift you're going to oh, get. Fantastic, fantastic. Typical Liam, though. Have you... Uh, you talked about, well, I actually brought up the idea of nerves there. I'm maybe more interested in a sense of responsibility, particularly when Ireland are in those competitions. Yeah. Would you have sense? I think people, w- sorry for cutting no, across I know where yeah. you're going, yeah. Um, people have the impression, possibly, that we come in with our hands in our pockets and, and the, the, the programme just happens. Mm. There is an enormous amount of background work in it. We're, we're very lucky as well because Eugene O'Neill, the editor, is a superb editor. And the amount of like say we're on a Wednesday match, you know, say Ireland are for argument's sake are playing on a Wednesday. I know they'll be playing different days this time, Saturdays and Tuesdays. But we would start working on that for a Wednesday match on about thir- the previous Thursday. And the the editor would, would be the coordinator of all the information from the various people, including me, as to what we would think would be the essential elements that'll define the, the game and uh, likely, likely to affect the result. And that goes on, and and people will say, well, you you know, we we want to show Rooney getting a great goal and whatever it might be, you know. So excerpts be taken from various matches. So then, again on Monday and Tuesday, there would be a follow up to the Saturday matches and see what what further information might be there. And then on the Wednesday, uh, John Giles is usually in early, like he'd be in in the morning, and he would determine that the the four or five inserts that we have chosen should be as follows. He would, and he would also put them in, in, in running order, in effect, you know. And then we would have a very serious discussion, say, say from about 4.30 or 5 o'clock until about 6 or half 6 as to where the, uh, what, what's going to happen in the match and who are going to, who's going to dominate, what are the, the trends that are likely to emerge, etc., etc., etc. That would be a very serious discussion. I'm wondering actually how that works. I mean, is there, are you... Does it work the same? Are you asking questions? <laughs> the others are no, no, no. It's 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 a completely. I I would be asking questions, but I wouldn't be asked. It wouldn't be a question of me doing a kind of a dry run for on air. Not at all. I'd be listening. You see, because my function. I and I think a lot of anchors make this mistake. My function is purely and simply to moderate, to bring out the best in the, the experts. I am not an expert. And in fact, I've been told on air by Dunphy a number of times <laughs> that I am not an analyst. And he makes no vote. And I'm not an analyst. And I don't pretend to be an analyst. But what I want to do is I want to extract from them the information that I think is most important. And also, a funny thing happened in the, in the 1990 World Cup or just before we did a survey and discovered only 32% of the people understood the game. Now, that came as an... And it's an astonishing fact to us. We couldn't believe it, but it was a very big survey. So we decided then that one of our functions was to bring the people with us, but not in a preachy way or a, a coaching way, you know, just but give them more information about the game and the various nuances of the game. So that's been done through the years. And I think that's one of the things where Giles is outstanding. And that's one of the reasons that we're, we're so much bigger in terms of audience than any of the the other channels when it comes to Ireland or even the Champions League. What about those really big days and your own specific role, Bill? I'm going to play you a clip here from Italia 90. This is your introduction to the coverage of Ireland against England that famous night. Good evening and you're welcome to our World Cup coverage on a day of historic importance for Ireland. In less than an hour, we line out against England and Cagliari and take our place in the World Cup finals for the very first time. For those who have worked to lift Irish soccer onto a plateau of achievement and respect, among them are two panellists, John Giles and Eamon Dunphy, it is a day of pride and emotion. For the nation at large, it's a day of joy and drama and celebration. And in our coverage tonight, 
we plan to reflect the national mood as we anticipate the game after what Kevin Morton has called an eternity of waiting. It's only a game, says Bobby Robson of England, and he's right, but he's wrong too, because to be in the finals for the first time is very special. And we're going to see what it means to people right around the country, whether they're 9 or 90. And I promise you, we're going to enjoy ourselves. We're going to give it a lash. Those are remarkable words. Nice to listen back to that. Yeah, that's one of the best things I wrote, I think. <laughs> well, it was incredible, really. Talk about setting the tone. I'm yeah. wondering, was that something you would have agonised over for weeks? The, 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 the script, you mean? Yeah. No, because I'll tell you why. We had a superb editor, Morris, really, at that stage. And when we were actually looking to, to see how we were going to present the World Cup, he made the point, and he was the editor, therefore his words was, was law in effect. <laughs> but everybody agreed with it. This was not just a soccer match. This was a national event. And if you remember that coverage, that coverage brought in the GAA, it brought in all the community groups, it brought in athletics, it brought in everybody. We wanted the whole country to, to be part and parcel of it. And that was the thing that actually distinguished our coverage from everybody and it was the one that actually put us on a plateau for which we still, we're still there, you know. Um, but in writing it, I, fe I felt listening to everything... It um it was it was something that I found I found very easy to write. I didn't have any difficulty. You were almost writing what you were seeing. That, what exactly, you were exactly. Yeah. And if you remember, that was an extraordinary time in Dublin. Oh yeah. Like I remember, I remember Jerry Ryan, God rest him, saying to me the following day. I did an interview with him on his program, and he said, "Do you regret that you weren't in Italy?" I said, "I wouldn't have missed Dublin for anything." Like it was a very special time in Dublin. Like everybody was celebrating. There was no crime. There was everybody was smiling. Everybody was laughing. Everybody. Was was uh, was uh, you know was completely behind the Irish team to such an extent that poor old Eamon got an awful hard time because he was considered a party pooper, yeah. you know, when he yeah. was calling a spade a spade. But and and in fact, I complained bitterly that, and it was changed actually for for Katie Taylor. I complained bitterly that they never came back to the studio and saw us celebrate the 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 the, the, the Genoa yeah. uh, uh, penalty yeah. shootout because they would have realised that why we might be. Hard-nosed about our comment. We were absolutely fans of Ireland, you know, in every sense. But that was done, actually, for um, Katie Taylor when she won the gold medal. And they came back to the studio and they saw what we did in 1990, dancing around the place and hugging and kissing and everything. It was fantastic, you know. Is it maybe that time, one of the best examples of sport, essentially, I think, is it a glorious triviality, is this Hugh McIlvaney phrase. It can actually be quite important at times. Oh yeah, there's no doubt. Well, there's no doubt about it that that it it, it bonded the nation. It, you know that World Cup bonded the nation like no other. And '94 was not the same at all. You know, '88 was a fluke, as we all know. We got there by 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 the dint of Scotland winning a match they weren't expected to win, and we we got the taste of it then. And then Jack Charlton, for all his inadequacies as a coach in many respects, you know, he did a fantastic job in the World Cup and brought us to to uh, uh, you know to the knockout stages and where we were defeated. We spoke to Michael Parkinson recently on the show. Um, I know reading your book, he was one of your early oh, yeah. icons and somebody you might have modelled yourself on to a certain extent. He talked about that as well. I think his phrase was the relevance of sport is its irrelevance. He was yeah. saying if, if you're thinking of it as war, as uh, famine, any of those things, that's not what it is, but it's important in its own way. And you came from a current affairs background. I'm wondering, did you have to, in those years, fight against the idea that sport is actually quite trivial. What, what's Bill O'Hurley doing involved in sport? Well, funnily enough, the audience thought that. Because when I, when I was taught... You see, when I got into trouble with the Money Lending Tribunal and it finished my current affairs career, and I was offered, tentatively now, I wouldn't go any further than a nibble, 
I was offered, uh, was I interested in the Irish Times? <laughs> so I was, to be honest, and Ted Nealon, who's dead now, God rest him as well, Ted said to me, you should go there. So I went along to Oliver Maloney, and Oliver Maloney was the head of, of, uh, of Human Resources, and he had been with us all the way through the tribunal. And I said, listen, I've, been, does it, I've got a nibble about this job, and I think I'll pursue it. He said, don't even consider it, he said. If you leave here, RTE, people will think, first of all, there was something wrong with the programme, and the programme was accurate. And secondly, he said, you will be damaged if you leave. So my advice to you is to stay. And he said, what would you like to do? And I said, I'd like to do sport. Sport you'll do, he said. But I didn't realise that there was a fantastic battle to move me from current affairs into sport because Mick O'Hare didn't want me. And he made it very clear the very first day I met him, which was about the Wednesday because he was racing on Monday and Tuesday, he, he brought me in and he said to me, Billy said, I don't want you here, he said. But you're welcome. And he was head of sport at that stage. He was. Yeah. I know you here, but you welcome. Did you ask what? What do you mean? He said. He said, "You have the wrong image. You have the wrong image for sport." He said because sport, which at that time was was a hard nosed current affairs image. Right. And he said that is not the way we operate. And he said, "I I don't want you." He said, "But you're here now, so you're welcome." That's incredible, and it's turned out to work to your advantage as far. It's, but back in as, fairness, yeah. I have to I have to finish the story. Sorry, in this, yeah, no, 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 no. In this respect, to be fair to Mick O'Hare. I, because I was very well trained and sport was at that stage like you could see in May of what you were going to do in September or October it was very very compartmentalised very little in comparison to today and when I when, when I used to come up with all kinds of ideas for, for programmes and that kind of thing because there was a there was a there was a, a weekly uh, kind of features programme as well and he came out to me after about three months now he knew full well what, that I had retailed what he had said and had gone wrong in the building so he came out and he put his arm around me in my, at, at the desk he said Bill he said I didn't want you he said but thanks be to God you're here <laughs> fair play to him like, I, I, that was good and I liked Mick O'Hare he was good to me as well you know um, the, the whole process though I mean it seems extraordinary now to think of I mean as you, as you see you know, the programme is accurate and yet you're banished from from yeah. the thing that you've been doing, but but you see, it was it was an extra it was an extraordinary time. I mean, you'd have to put it in context because the administration, which was a Fianna Fáil administration, that sort of RT saw RT as an arm of government. They didn't see RT current affairs as a as an instrument where they'd be forensically examined about performance, and that got on their wick week in week out. They would be skin and hair flying between RT and uh, and 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 the government. And it, it, it became exacerbated when Owen Harris became the, the, the editor, Lilia Doolan, and then Marish McAneil, who was by far and away the most, uh, the most influential of, of all of them. And they, they just got, they, they, the government just didn't take it anymore. And when they came across the, the money lending programme, which was a programme that, that used hidden microphones, hidden, hidden cameras, and showed the extent of the problem, it was a huge, huge scandal as far as. Uh, the Doyle was concerned, it was like all kinds of debates in the Doyle, and they said, OK, we'll, we'll set up a tri- tribunal of inquiry to, inqu- in, to inquire into the programme, not to the problem. Because mm. this gave them the opportunity. To stamp down on you. Yeah. And they didn't care about me, like I was a little trout in a piranha pool. This was about, <laughs> this was about current, getting, getting, putting manners on current affairs, which yeah. they succeeded in doing for a long time. So, so, so you ended up doing sport at that stage. I wonder, from a personal point of view, was that a difficult time for you? Because did you have people gloating over you, saying, no, no, oh, no. no. I, I, I was a hero on the first day of the tribunal and I was a, a right eejit on day 56 when it finished, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Having said all that, there, nobody ever was, was unkind to me. Nobody ever was unkind. And I had a job in RT. If I wanted to go into news, 
I could have gone into news, but yeah. I didn't want to go into news. I, because I, I had done sport in the Examiner anyway in the old days, and I enjoyed it immensely. But people, to go back to the question you asked a while ago, uh, people rang up and they said, uh, "God, it's awful to see uh, Bill O'Hurley ringing, uh, reading the the racing results at five to six. It was program <laughs> five to six every night." But I was delighted. I got, ma- I had just got married. Did you need to be convinced in your own mind that this was uh, this was going to be a good thing? I mean, how long? Did I'm. You take? A, I tell you something. I am a great believer in the Lord moving in mysterious ways, and there isn't the slightest shadow of doubt that what happened to me in the tribunal and the consequence because of Oliver Maloney, go, my going into sport, was the best thing that ever happened to me. Really, I would never have achieved anything like the same satisfaction, the same or the same success in current affairs as I would have in sport. But was it also around that time that you started the PR company? Yeah, I left, but yeah, I, I actually, yeah, I left RTE in 71, I think it was, and I started the PR company at that stage. Uh, in a way, like when, when I was in sport, I was the, bored in sport the, 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 the early days. The, the PR company, though, is an interesting one because it would, it would have been an industry... I would, I, I guess, I don't know, but in its infancy in Ireland. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So how did you? Well, the reason I got into it was because because uh, uh, young advertising, excuse me, I know Kennedy Brindley, were fed up of 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 of, uh, of doing free PR for their advertising clients, and it was becoming more demanding. So they wanted to set up a company, and they offered it to me. They said, "We'll we'll fund it for two years, and then we'll give it to you," which is what they did. So I said to myself. I, as I said, I was a bit bored in sport at that stage because it was too predictable. The actual, the great start in sport hadn't actually happened, you know, like in terms of the, the expansion into the premiership, all that kind of stuff hadn't yet happened. And uh, I decided I'd, I'd, um, I'd start, I'd start the, uh, the PR company and I, I never regretted it. I learned an awful lot because I was working with, with very expert companies like Coca-Cola who, who had a, a, a concept of corporate communications that was way beyond anything I learned from the examiner or from RTE, to be honest. Well, you know? so different from journalism. And I don't know if you felt, was there a different ethos? Is, is there a sort of poacher turned gamekeeper element? That, well, well, that's the that? journalistic view. Yeah. Like my, my attitude was very simple. I, I wasn't going to start lying for any client. I called a spade a spade when a spade was necessary to be called. I didn't, I didn't walk clients into trouble. I didn't unnecessarily give out information, but I didn't conceal information. And I took that and I made it very clear to all the clients, this is the way I operate. Because I had to protect my own reputation and my reputation wasn't as big as it might be today, but nonetheless, like people knew who I was and all that. And I said, I'm not going to, to destroy that reputation and become a kind of a sleeveine. Yeah. It's hard to imagine, just going back to the sports side of things, the life before the panel but there was a period where you presented football coverage um, for example I know there was a Cup Winners Cup game Ah don't talk to me about that Go on please tell <laughs> us this story <laughs> That was a, that was a, I, I, and I did it on my own and what you have to remember in the old days like when we'd have you'd have five minutes before the match then you'd have 15 minutes at half time and you might be very lucky if you had two minutes of, uh, of, uh, of commercials and the rest of it you'd have to fill yourself But what were you supposed to do? Well, I was, I was supposed to talk very knowledgeably about the game. and it was <laughs> To t- yourself? Yeah, well, to Is the it, audience. Oh, and it was nil all at half-time. There was nothing happened in the first half. It was between two uh, Eastern European teams. One, I think, might have been Russian. I'm not quite certain. And one of them was certainly... But both of them, anyway, were from the far side of the curtain as it existed in those days. And I remember Eamon Dunphy writing... Uh, very trenchantly, that was very obvious that Bill O'Hurley knew nothing whatsoever about soccer. He gave me a desperate, a desperate <laughs> review in the Tribune, I think it was, maybe the Sunday Independent, I don't know. But he was right. It must have been so uncomfortable. But I said, I yeah. said I'd never do it again. I said, that is not my function. Do you, do you have any 
because uh, I'm I'm fascinated by this. I wish a tape existed of this of this one. I have no idea what anyone could say in that position. Do you have any idea what it was? Oh, well, I talked gobbledygook. We, we picked out a couple of bits and bobs that we Oh, showed. so at least you, you had a couple of replays and things like oh, that. Oh, yeah, but sure, there was no way in the wide world I could see. <laughs> <laughs> the only time I ever had to talk and really talk was, um, the, I remember I was doing Sports Stadium and Joe McCormick was the uh, was the was the uh, the director and I got a f- uh, message from Joe McCormick who said, Billy said, uh, we were doing motor racing from Kirkestone in Northern Ireland. He said, we got a problem. And I said, what's the problem? He said, there's a rainstorm in Kirkestone and it's, put, uh, it's been put back for, uh, the race has been put back for half an hour. Half an hour? I said, what am I going to do? I'll tell you what you're going to do, son. He was an Australian or an Irish Australian. You're going to do what you're paid to do. He said, you're going to talk. <laughs> and if you've, got any, if you've got a problem, he said, I'll send in a, a straw hat and a cane and give you the key of C. <laughs> and I was back in the air, oh. and I said to myself because they, I remember the the um, the commercial break was thirty two seconds, yeah. and I said in God's name. But luckily it was a soccer day, so I talked about this, that, and the other thing. Nothing. There were no inserts. Nothing. I talked for twelve minutes, and on a live program. And by the time we got something else, I handed over. I got a rung of applause from the from the fellas. Yeah. I, Jesus, I could I could actually feel the sweat. Yeah dripping down under my armpit. I can only imagine. So I suppose if you're ever having a bad day with the panel, you can remind yourself of those days. Oh, that's when, right. Before I, I had existed. a bad day. I tell you, I had a bad day with the lads one time in the sense that I was going to, um, I was going to ask a question and I dried. The only time I ever dried. And I said, um, and this is where Dunphy is brilliant. I said, um, I'm sorry, lads. I was about to ask a question and it's gone. And Dunphy, quick as a flash, said, I'm delighted to hear that because for a long time I've wanted to ask you this question. <laughs> and it covered completely and Brilliant. then it was back. Yeah, it was terrific. But that's where Dunphy is great. Speaking of, speaking of these kind of on-air surprises that happen, I mean, you, you spoke earlier about how, um, you know, the, the program would actually be prepared carefully in advance. You'd oh, spend, yeah. spend quite a bit of time. But do you ever kind of think, you know, there's something that I might like, well, I might want to spring on them? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what, that's what Brady calls a hand grenade. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, you can't be, it, it can't be formulaic in the sense you can't decide in advance everything is going to be, but you, ha- you can decide what the key parts of it are. Thereafter, you have to say to yourself, this, this is also television, it's also showbiz, or as, as, as Dunphy would say, this is showbiz, baby. <laughs> so you have to have something in it that makes a difference. And also, there might be, there might be to, to go back to the Parkinson thing, they may have said something. And suddenly you say to yourself, if I explore that now, I'll get a lot out of it, you know. That's and, more uh, interesting than what we... Correct, we and I would do that, you know. And, and, and that's where I think that Gabo and Parkinson were outstanding. They listened. And an awful lot of people, I think, anchoring, have their own set agenda and they go according to that agenda. And that's a huge mistake. You've got you to gotta f- go with the flow. You also have to probably have a good relationship, as you clearly do, with the panel for them not to take any offence. It's not as though you're trying to get at them personally when you throw in a hand grenade. Oh, no, 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 no. But they recognise sometimes, like, I mean, I got an awful bollocking from Brady about, uh, about, um, uh, about Trap in, in relation oh, to the crowds one crowds day. weren't turning yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. He, wasn't a bit, he wasn't a bit impressed and he told me afterwards he wasn't a bit impressed. But, I mean, th- it is a very happy programme and the programme is over. The rows are over, except in the case of John and Eamon for the long time. But apart from that, like, there's, n- there's never a serious row because we all respect what we're doing, you know? The tightness of the panel and the bond that you've had, yeah. Bill, it's, it's very clear. I'm wondering, is that, would you, be, would you have been quite protective, you and the three guys, of your own patch there in the sense that 
other people are coming in and I know you've made the point in the past that even Graeme Souness was maybe a little bit felt intimidated somewhat and he Ray Howe yeah. and, and Ronnie Whedon just at the start it's maybe a hard group to break into it, it is, the there's no question of it because like I, I've, I've, I've used the expression that we're like a repertory company you know like we all know our, our functions my function is to moderate their function is to analyse but at the same time like they're so used to working together there's an instinctive bond between them you know and and uh, for somebody to come in recognising that they have got audiences in the region of anything up to a million and a half uh, over the years, people are, I suppose, conscious of the strength of their comments and conscious of the fact that they are the uh, the A team, as they've described, <laughs> as they it has been described. So, in that sense, anybody coming in is a little bit intimidated. But there are they're very good people coming up. Ronnie is very good. Uh, Richie Sadler is extremely good in my estimation, and Kenny Cunningham has great strengths as well. So, like, there are people coming through. And Dara is very good. Dara, Dara will surprise people. I mean, I'm, I'm a bit sorry for Dara in the sense that people say that I'm a hard act to follow. I'm not really. I'm not really because the lads are the people. If he just listens and if he leaves the lad, gives the lads their head without being silly about it, which you won't be, he, you know. So for people coming into that, and it's you've obviously retired from that side of it now, and the, the rest and of I'm the panel... And I'm not going to do a Ferguson. I'm not going to go into <laughs> RTE, and I'm not going to stand and, and ring up and say, that was terrible crap, you know? <laughs> yeah. You missed this point at that point. None of that. Uh, I'm out, I'm out. The rest of the panel are closer to the end of their careers than the start, so the, all, this new breed is coming in, as you say. If they're strong enough, and they're long-term going to be viable options, do you feel that they just have to handle the initial... Intimidation, not that it's a deliberate intimidation, but the initial, if there's initial difficulty in getting into within the group, if they're good enough, it's sink or swim, really? Uh, well, you see, that that process has already started. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, this is where, where the last now of the Premiership is a big loss in the sense that was a grounding area for an awful lot of new talent, you know, and um, uh, I, I would imagine, I have no idea what, what the head of sport uh, has in mind, but it wouldn't surprise me in the least if, if, if you will find on lesser occasions in the Champions League that you'll find that there'll be, a, there'll, there'll be a, a different mix, you know. But when it comes to the big games, you'll find the three lads will be the, the, the star attraction, and rightly so. When you think, I mean, over, when you think about a programme that's been on for so long, there's, you know, people have watched so much of it. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's almost difficult to, to, uh, to isolate what it is that you really like about it. Um, but I suppose then the moments that do stick out in memory are big fights, mm-hmm. uh, and there was a mo- there was a fight with um, uh, you know uh, Liam Brady almost walking out. Uh, there was another one. Eamon oh, w. that was about that was about uh, the, the, the Vingers walks. Yeah, the, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The package, the video package that you hadn't seen. There was another one where uh, where Eamon Dunphy was very indignant about you uh, t- quoting uh, gutter journalists. Oh, that's right. Like that's right yeah. And so on and so forth. And he became a great friend of his afterwards. Oh yeah, I, I think I heard them on the radio a couple of days. <laughs> Later, I've uh, had a lovely on, on live. <laughs> but um, I wonder. I mean, when you think about it, it's kind of, it's kind of a paradoxical thing because you're talking about you know everyone has a, the, there's, there's quite a close relationship, and, and, and in another sense, <laughs> what people almost want to see is them falling out. Oh, they, yeah, yeah. Do people need to get on to be able to fall out on air like that? Yeah, the, I suppose in a sense, yes. I mean, the, the reality is that uh, they're all very good. The three of them are very good friends. Like they're especially. Uh, especially Brady and and, uh, and Dunphy, who were not friends at all in, a, in when Brady was playing soccer, and Brady are, got terrible stick from Dunphy when he went to Italy, if you remember. Mm. And uh, but they're they're great mates, you know. They go out an awful lot eating and and and, uh, and dining out, and Giles less so, but he's like he's a, he's a great friend of the three of them. But 
I, I suppose because they're friends. You see, they would argue that when, when they disagree, it's not a fight. It's an intellectual disagreement. And it is purely temporary. Yeah. You mentioned... Uh, that you're a journalist, a print journalist by trade, yeah. and your grandfather uh, was news editor in the in the, the Examiner, Examiner, the Cork yeah. Examiner at the time. Yeah. Uh, circulation figures were out last week for newspapers, and they're down again in terms yeah, yeah. of uh, of the print editions. Uh, do you worry about the future of the newspaper well, industry that you look so much? It's very doubtful, I'd say. You know, I mean, there will be huge changes. I saw there was a story in the paper the other day. Was it about the Boston Globe or something like that? They were they were making it. They were you know the digital. And print things were being separated for right. obvious reasons. I was talking to a guy who told me he went from New York to Boston on a, on, on a train recently. Nobody was reading a paper. And if you go to Cork, as I frequently do, and you and you you know nobody's reading the paper either. They're all working either on their iPads or reading from their iPads. It's a huge. There's a huge change. I'd be very worried if I was running a newspaper. And it's very sad, sad to see what's happened to the Examiner because when I started in the Examiner. Like the circulation was about twice what it currently is, and it was a great place to work, and it was a great place to train, and it was a lovely, lovely environment. But sure, no, I don't know what the score is now, but certainly their their circulation is very poor. Your own dream was to become editor yeah. of the Irish Examiner. Are you happy enough with how it all turned out? Oh yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I still would love to have been the editor. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. And if I had been offered the job when I was working in sport, I think I would have taken it. Really? Yeah, I really had a. I had a. See, I'm a tribal cork man. I love, I love, um, I love Cork, and I love everything about Cork. And to be the editor of the Examiner to me would have been the pinnacle, I think, of my career if I had been lucky enough to get it. But and I was, I have to say, when I was there, I was heading towards it because I, I had an awful lot of freedom to do things in the Examiner, and I was the editor of the Weekly Examiner, which of course is a Mickey Mouse operation. But nonetheless, it was a training ground, and and uh, it, it, it might have happened, it might have happened. But you're happy. Ah, yeah, I've been the luckiest person in the whole world. And the only disappointment I had in recent times was watching Cork last Sunday. <laughs> Mother of God, they were the worst Cork team I ever saw. Well, we'll have to leave it on that down <laughs> note, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> Bill O'Hurley, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for coming Thank in. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks. Brian, thanks a million for talking to us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Excited to be on the new show. I think it was a good soundbite in which I got now. Mm. I, I'm still not you convinced how... You remember my grandmother, no disrespect, when I used to get in trouble, <laughs> and I used to explain to her to try to get out of the trouble, and she looked at me and said, hmm, and I knew a butt whooping was coming at the house. <laughs> it's a kip. Look at it's it's like a lot of the monuments around around Ireland, GA monuments, it's a dump. You know, I just had occasion to uh, re-watch some of the 94 win over Italy, the one nothing win, the legendary win at the Meadowlands. And the way you guys took care of Baggio with McGraw, you know, just laying his body out all over the place. Oh my God, was it a battle? And a lot of our boys used to love the fact that we were going up there because it was just a hammer match. The referee let absolutely everything go. And like, you as, it as well, Oshin, yeah? I absolutely time. hated it. I was about 10 and a half stone at the time. <laughs> uh, I was basically just there to take free kicks. Because of the referee that we had, there was no free kicks. <laughs> I wrote a book called Arrivals decades and decades ago. Vincent grew up in Brooklyn and he was very much into baseball and he was a Dodger fan. So he read that chapter because he wrote the book and he calls me up and he says, Jerry, I had to call you. You have written a great book. I said, Vincent, it's not a great book. It's a good book. He says, Jerry, it's a great book. I'm saying, no, it's a good book. Now, he's defending my book and I'm attacking it, right? Yeah. My idea is you got to win an argument with this guy. So he says to me, don't try to tell me it's a great, not a great book. I read it. 
I said, don't try to tell me it's not a good book. I wrote it. <laughs> Jerry Eisenberg speaking with, or about Vince Lombardi at the end there, I should say. Shane Kern and Vince Lombardi seems like a natural fit within a package like that. <laughs> yes, they should be closer together, if anything. I uh, really hope you enjoyed the conversation with Bill O'Hurley there. It was really great to have him in. And Ken, you seem particularly taken with that idea of freestyling for 12 minutes on a Cup Winners' Cup match. I've just double-checked here. It was the 1975 Cup Winners' Cup final between Dinamo Kiev and Ferenc Varos that Bill had to analyse and present the halftime coverage of for 12 minutes. 12 minutes can be quite a long time if you feel that you're being watched by half the nation. 12 seconds can be a long time if it's going wrong. Yeah, so I don't know. I'd love to see what... Uh, well, I mean, what would you do, Kieran? Mm, I'm, I'm kind of put in mind of... Um, you know when uh, Wayne from Wayne's World walks out on the TV show... And the camera focuses in on his compatriot, Garth. <laughs> Everything's all right. Okay. Yeah, I think that's, that would be pretty much my reaction. You don't know any really long jokes? Uh, kind of a shaggy dog story. That... No, I don't, actually. That issue of new of the, the pundits who have come in over the last few years having to almost break into the panel, I think, is quite interesting. It can make for entertaining TV also. And Kenny Cunningham... Mm. versus Eamon Dunphy in this World Cup Richie Sadler versus Liam Brady on a couple of occasions in recent years you probably when those guys are working together for so long you probably have to earn their respect to a certain extent mm. Mm. You would have, yeah, you I don't know if you can I don't know if it's something you can earn yeah maybe you gotta take it maybe it's something you just take yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're probably still not gonna get it but uh, hopefully yeah. you're the kind of person you can ignore that I think that's what maybe Kenny Cunningham went for this summer I mean you wouldn't have seen a whole lot you were in Brazil Ken but I, I, think saw, I saw it. It was all on YouTube. Yeah. I mean, we were following that in Brazil. We follow, we follow that. <laughs> we have three shows still to come this week. We have two already out there. Plus today's show. That makes six in total to mark our 250 episodes. You've done the math on it. Pretty special stuff. And among the programs that are already there to be listened to, Murph, we played a tiny clip from it there. Shane Curran incurring the wrath of the people of Limerick, or at least the denizens of the Gaelic grounds in Limerick. Mm. I mean, yeah, I mean, I tried to put it in context yesterday. Then he got so much stick last night. And, uh, <laughs> you, you did or he did? No, he did. All right. Okay. I mean, you know, I was going to wade in, but I was like, well, he's a grown man. He can handle it, you know? Uh, so maybe that's, you know, maybe, you know, I, I, I think you got to, you know, you, you got to let him fight his own battles, you know? Sometimes you just have to let go and you have to know when to let go. You can listen to all these programs the usual ways. iTunes, the Podcast Republic app for an Android is probably the best one. Uh, SoundCloud. You can also check out irishtimes.com forward slash secondcaptains. Do give us a follow on Twitter if you aren't already at secondcaptains. Thanks very much, Ken. And thank you too, Owen. Thanks to you, Kieran. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Ken. Thanks for listening. Thanks again for all the support over the 250 episodes and we'll talk to you again through the rest of the week. It's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. 
Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. shopify.com slash work.